Welcome to the Architectural Education Off the Record Podcast, where we discuss everything, something, and nothing about architecture. I'm your host, Vincent Hui. In this quick episode, I'm going solo, and we're going to be talking about something that a lot of people have been asking me over the last couple of weeks, and that's, you know what, today is Halloween, and maybe by the time you guys get this, I might actually have it launched out by Halloween. But a couple of people have asked me about, hey, do you own any good scary stories? And of course, I could recount a whole bunch of stories that I've just given in the last couple of weeks about plagiarism, about academic integrity, and about, oh, the consequences of failing X course or that course. But you know what? I'm going to get into the way of the season and talk about some kind of haunting ghost stories that come about in the discussions in architecture history courses. And maybe you'll also understand probably why I no longer teach any of the history theory courses. Uh, It's been a long, long time since I've done one last. In any event, let's talk about some spooky stories. And this is where, if if of course I had some good production values, I'd actually play in some spooky music. Unfortunately, I don't. So, Let's talk about our home campus. First and foremost, we've got a lot of great spooky places on campus. And I'm not just talking about that creepy alcove where the homeless guy just pops out um, right behind that Tim Hortons. I'm talking about places that you find on campus or nearby. Um, Whether it's, say, we all know the ubiquitous creepiness of Allen Garden just down the way on uh, Girard, all the way down to, of course, we know that around our campus, we've got various spaces that uh, include Elgin Theater, St. Mike's Hospital, uh, Mackenzie House is just down on uh, by Dundas and Bond. So there's various creepy, spooky places that allegedly have some hauntings going on. But I'm going to talk more about our specific home turf. And that's probably some of you guys might have seen or heard about it. And it's the old school of pharmacy building that is right across on the north side of the quad. If you just look on the other side of Girard, you'll see that there's that new building. It's, of course, it's the Center for Urban Energy. And it's a beautiful new building by Moriyama Tashima. Uh, you might notice it. Uh, it's got that really uh, great perforated steel topping. Uh, so you can see a little bit of the way they cr- tried to conceal the mechanical. But it's also in the place where the former school of or the Ontario College of Pharmacy used to be. And I can tell you right now that it used to look like an old, uh, well, it it was an old building, was built in the 1880s. uh, And it basically uh, looked like something you would find in one of those Murdoch mystery shows, right? So it's like an old building. And of course, it was the basically a school of pharmacy. And you would have not only people plying their trades and mixing chemicals and trying to find medicine or cures for various things, you'd also have the original kind of CSI kind of examination where you'd have dead bodies coming in and people would have to figure out, hey, what causes their deaths, right? So we've got a whole entire study of poisons and chemistry and of course, pharmaceuticals. And we got a lot of dead bodies. So that's kind of where that whole entire story starts. And over time, uh, there's a bunch of passing around. So that used to be the Ontario College of Pharmacy. It then became uh, University of Toronto's uh, School of Pharmacy. And eventually, it just kept on transforming back and forth. And eventually, in the 1960s, Ryerson starts taking over that particular building. Most of you guys know that Ryerson does not actually have a pharmacy program. Of course, we've got some great science and chemistry, uh, you know, folks and biomedical engineering, but we do not actually have a school of pharmacy. So what became of that pharmacy building? Well, it became, of course, something that Ryerson is known for, which is it originally started out with journalism and uh, some theater students. And of course, it eventually became the Ryerson Theater School, right? And um, the Ryerson School of Theater was one of those 
facilities that back in the day, in the 1970s, uh, it was one of the first real facilities that offered acting, dance, and theater production. So, of course, you can imagine that, you know, it's an older building, you know, and, and of course, with all these types of theatrical performances, you've got costumes, you've got equipment, you've got stage, you've got back of house, you've got some classrooms, you've got some offices, and of course, all that stuff, you know, does have to cram into a relatively small footprint. And that means a lot of spaces for storage, of course, it's going to go into the basement, which also happened to have, you know, some creepy pipes and it looked kind of creepy. Of course, uh, eventually people started saying, hey, it's, it's you know, maybe I could uh, stand to have better lighting and better HVAC. Of course, the building is built with 1880s technology. So there's lots of steam, uh, you know, uh, piping and all that stuff to make sure that the facility can actually be kept warm in, in kind of uh, Toronto climates. Of course, people start mixing their brains up with where the mechanical systems are. And of course, people allocate those weird sounds in the night and the creepy storage of stuff in the basement to, of course, ghosts. The thing is, of course, people start doing a little bit of digging and they start realizing the acting and the journalist folks start realizing, hey, this used to be a morgue uh, upstairs. There used, to, there used to be lots of dead bodies going through here. So, of course, legend has it that this facility happens to have various ghosts and apparitions, whether it's the fuzzy outline of a certain man, a fuzzy outline of a young lady, perhaps saying certain things or, you know, murmurs in the night. You can imagine that a lot of nascent journalists um, and, and people in, uh, that are studying media at Ryerson have actually done lots of shows. Like you see those haunting reality TV shows or witch style things. So they've done a lot of that stuff. But at the end of the day, that is our own little homegrown Ryerson ghost story. Uh, unfortunately, if you uh, have seen the site, as I said before, it's now the Center for Urban uh, Innovation or Urban Energy. And it is a tight site still. Uh, but there are some spaces which have vestiges of a little bit of a certain creepiness to it. So I definitely recommend if you are uh, interested in just seeing maybe some of the old uh, components of that building that Moriyama Tsushima were able to kind of retain. Uh, by all means, check it out. Uh, I don't think you'll be scared because, again, you guys are studying architecture, so you know that the real creepiness behind it is just in people's imagination. Second story I want to talk about, though, is, of course, the focus on the Winchester Mansion. Now, I know a lot of you guys might actually know about this story, but I thought that it would be important because some of you guys in first year or high school that are listening to this, I probably have no clue. So some of you guys might know that occasionally I'll take students out for a field trip. And uh, the last time I went to San Francisco, I was planning on taking some of the students down to not only visit uh, San Francisco and, of course, some great works that are done by some notable architects, most notably, of course, Frank Lloyd Wright, the big, big name down there. Um, and, of course, we'd go and see all these great houses and, and facilities that were done by amazing architects. But one place I wanted to bring the students that year, it's a magical bus tour, was of the Winchester Mansion, which is just outside in, in California. It's, it's, a, it's a great spot, and it, it looks like an old Victorian mansion from afar, and then you realize it looks really, really big. And the best part about this is, let me paint this picture for you, okay? A long time ago, there used to be, oh, I don't know, this company, well, there still is a company called basically Winchester Repeating Arms, okay? Basically the Winchester Gun Company. And they 
basically created guns and uh, all the kind of great devices used in the Civil War that killed, well, a lot of people in America, right? So, of course, this company made tons and tons of money over the course of um, God knows how long. What happened is that the family, uh, the, the patriarch of the family dies, and it eventually falls on the widow, uh, Sarah Winchester, who inherits basically a lot of money, about 20 odd million dollars back in the day uh, in about, um, I don't know, like 1880s. And if you converted it down to today's dollars, I was looking it up, it's about over half a billion dollars, which is a lot of money. Well, it's not just the money that's on her shoulders right now. Uh, she's also, um, you know, depending on what kind of accounts you hear about, she's also bearing a lot of remorse and guilt. Now, of course, this is the 1880s. So there's this kind of pseudoscience and nebulous nature of spirituality. So, you know, you really can't fault some people for thinking a certain way. But she was pretty superstitious. That's very clear. Um, no matter what account you look at, uh, it always says that, you know, she had this issue about uh, some superstitions. Um, so whether it was the fact that she liked the number 13, or that she had a specific focus on um, certain beliefs about the afterlife, well, you'll see it a little bit more as of course, she's got this money, and she's got a lot of guilt. So what happens is that she decides to build up her house. And of course, you know, one of the fastest ways to get rid of money is to throw it at architecture. So what does she do? She decides to take some of the money that she's got. And of course, she's basically sitting on over half a billion dollars, right? And, you know, if you think about it, each day, if you just look at the interest alone, she's making tons of money. She's making like uh, basically what people would earn in um, like a couple of years. She would be clocking out in like a day's worth of just doing nothing, right? What she do with that money? She starts feeling guilty and she says, listen, or at least this is one account, uh, um, you know, one allegation is that she starts saying, you know what, out of guilt or out of some sort of connection with the spiritual world, she maybe feels a little bit guilty and knows that lots of people died during the Civil War. And she's worried about getting perhaps the spirits of those folks. Um, so one thing that can't be denied is that she goes on this big building binge. She starts creating not only the house, but she starts creating extra rooms. And we're not just talking about blank open like storage closets or whatever. We're talking about opulent rooms with like entire furnishings, parlors. Like she's putting stained glass everywhere in this house. And the thing is that some of these stained glass windows aren't even to the outside walls. Like these, these are stained glass, like, you know, done by Tiffany himself, not even just like, you know, just like regular, like Joe Schmo stained glass. You know, we were talking about the equivalent of millions spent on just like things that make completely no sense, furnishings that are for rooms that, you know, honestly, it was just pretty much her and her servants living there for the vast majority of the time. And what happens is that it's not just making a big room so that in the event her nieces or her, you know, she has guests over, she's making rooms that make no sense. We're talking about doors that open to nothing stairs that go up to the ceiling, but there's no opening, just random rooms, because she just keeps on building and building and building. Now, of course, a lot of allegations during that period were that she was building all the time 24 hours to allay the spirits that were kind of uh, tormenting her, um, because they were dead because of the, you know, at the hands of her Winchester arms or the guns, right? Um, you know, whatever you want to say about her kind of spiritual state, there's no denying that she goes on this big binge. And, she, you know, it's not always under construction. There, there are adoptions, of course. It's just, it's just that it wasn't 24-7. 
several years, it was just straight up construction all the way through. And, and, and I should mention that it's not just decorative construction. Once again, it wasn't even just simply like I make a room and then I also furnish it. She would actually put things like working plumbing for a house that you know only had one real person. You know, um, I should also mention that she was put in some advanced tech in there, like everything from what, uh, you know, elevators all the way through to, uh, you know, air conditioning. Again, think about this back in the like, you know, end of, like, end of the 1800s, um, you know, this is where we see and, and beginning in the 1900s, we see a lot of cool innovations in architecture emerge. And this woman's putting them into or purchasing them and put, putting them into her house. And uh, it's kind of weird because you just go like this, this lady's keeping on building on this stuff and it becomes this mountain of a house. Like at some point in history, it's recorded as like almost seven stories high, okay? Uh, so you can imagine this is like the house that kept on building, right? But of course, 1906 rolls, one that's ever been with me on my San Francisco uh, architecture tour. Um, basically, that's where a big earthquake hits and that house gets leveled. Of course, it doesn't get completely destroyed. It, it had um, basically uh, floating foundations. So it was on, I'm sorry, it was like raft uh, construction. So it was pretty much good. Uh, like, you know, she was kind of obsessive compulsive on some levels too, where she was mandating that that building was built solely out of redwood. But, uh, you know, she didn't really like what the redwood looked like. So she'd have like wallpaper all the time, just make this and of course because it was done with wood there was a certain more flexibility um that that emerged so that guess what when the earthquake happened she was able to kind of fix it um, and just get the team to to kind of repair the actual project now of course if you ever have taken a look and of course you can take a look at the show notes and see that there are some images and uh of the actual winchester mansion and it looks pretty damn creepy right um but of course if you think about it she dies and um, you know, no one to own this house. Uh, you know, it, it, the, all the money and all this belongs go to her niece. And you know, quite frankly, if you were told by you know by someone that your creepy, crazy aunt um, who believed that you know there was ghosts, uh, you know, died, and there's tons of furnishings that really aren't there, you know, it's not like you're going to be wanting to move in there. So what does she do? She just kind of sells it all out. And of course, you look at the house, and the house goes up on sale, and no one wants to buy a house that has random rooms. No one really wants to buy like. You know, you can imagine the real estate agent just going, yeah, it's a, well, it's not a fixer upper because it's been fixing up for the last several years. So you look at that building and it's like a fire hazard. It doesn't make sense. Why would I need this many rooms? Like, you know, it, it kind of got repaired after this quake, but I'm not sure what's in there. Like, you know, I'm finding new rooms as I tour it, right? So, you know, we got hundred, hundreds of rooms, over, over like 150 odd rooms, right? Um, in, 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 when it's on the real estate block. So of course it goes for pennies on the dollar, right? Um, and, you know, it, it basically gets uh, acquired. And now, of course, if you look at it, it's, it's part of the Winchester um, uh, charitable group. And of course, now they offer tours. And this is coming back to the story that I've thought, I thought it would be really great to have uh, as one of my destinations, a tour of the actual Winchester mansion. Um, and you can get everything from just like a kind of one day pass, like kind of quick tour on yourself. You can get a guided tour. And sometimes if you're lucky, you can get those kind of night tours or, 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 or kind of camp out tours. So unfortunately we didn't have that opportunity, but again, once again, another creepy architecture story, but again, the building wasn't really haunted. If you think about it, it was just, you know, Winchester, Sarah Winchester, God lover. Uh, she was just a little bit quirky. The last story I want to share with you guys is one that might be something a little bit more esoteric. Maybe some of you guys know this one, but I, I suspect maybe not so much. And it all pertains to a pretty famous architect. I mentioned him already, Frank Lloyd Wright. 
And, you know, I'm not going far over to the stuff that he did in California. I'm going to stop over um, in Taliesin. And I'm not talking Taliesin West. I'm talking about his original home of Taliesin, um, where basically some of you guys might know the story of um, what happened to Frank Lloyd Wright uh, during the Taliesin Manor, or some people call it the Love Nest, okay? Well, let me tell you about the legend of the Love Nest, okay? Picture this, Frank Lloyd Wright, as many of you guys know, might've been a really good genius architect, but unfortunately he was also very, very arrogant, right? And I'm not even talking about just the fact that he would boast, like actually he did say things like, you know, design's easy, I can just shake my sleeves and you know, good designs will come out, right? Like th there's actually quotes where he says stuff like this, but Frank Lloyd Wright not only spoke a mean game, but he also was pretty much a kind of sleazy. He might have been a great architect, but he did some sleazy stuff. Okay. Most notably, imagine this. Frank Lloyd Wright is an architect. He gets commissioned by a rich guy, um, you know, a rich guy and his wife um, with, with kids. Uh, basically, this rich guy says, hey, um, it would be really great if you could build me a house, right? Because I hear, uh, you know, Frank, you're a really good architect. And of course, guess what? No problem. Um, Frank Lloyd Wright loves an opportunity to design really cool houses, right? And he does it. He starts designing. But of course, while he's meeting up with this, you know, clients, you know, um, the thing is he's, and, and I should mention it's Edwin Cheney. Um, so you guys can look this up and make, make sure I'm not lying. Um, but while he's with Cheney, he looks over and sees Martha, his wife. Okay. Uh, so, you know, Edwin, he's got a wife named Martha, also known as Mama. And basically, Martha catches his fancy and Martha looks at him and says, hey, you know what? You're a you're a young and famous architect. Um, hey, let's. Uh, I might be married, but again, both of those people, both Frank and uh, Martha, kind of like catch each other's fancy. And even during the whole entire construction and um, you know the, the the kind of design of the house, guest of of uh, Edwin's house, basically, what happens is that Frank Lloyd Wright he says, hey, listen, uh, Martha, you want to go? I'm gonna go to Europe. You want to come with me? And of course, she does. And it's just them, them two. It's not like the husband or anything else. And I should also mention, of course, Frank Lloyd Wright at this point in time is also married, right? So an affair to remember, okay? Unfortunately, of course, you can't really suppress that kind of thing. At some point, it becomes a little bit more public. And there's obviously a divorce um, from Edwin and uh, Martha. But of course, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, his his first wife at that point, uh, is pretty adamant, no, I'm not going to divorce, uh, so forget it, right? That's where things are at, okay? And now let's get to the fun part. Let's talk about this whole entire love cottage, right? What happens is Frank Lloyd Wright, he's a super busy architect back in the day, and he's working out of Chicago, okay? The thing is that it, out in this whole entire situation with the love nest, this is out in Wisconsin, okay? We got Chicago, Frank Lloyd Wright traveling back and forth, going to, you know, his, his, his work, right? Dealing with, um, you know, I think at that point he was dealing with um, Midway Gardens, right? In, in about World War One time, okay? So what happens is it gets a real, it gets a little bit nuttier, okay? While he's working away in Chicago, he just gets a really quick, message. And it just basically says Taliesin destroyed by fire, right? Taliesin is this basic, you know, is the name of this, of the place that actually Mama or Martha is staying at. Okay. So of course that's not a big deal, but let's go into this a little bit more. Okay. Cause this is where it gets like house of horror style. Okay. You can imagine that 
Martha and her kids are staying at Taliesin. And the, picture this, they, they're just finishing lunch and they're out on the porch. Maybe times are tight. Maybe uh, there's been problems with some of the staff, but there's one staff member in particular. His name's Julian Carlton. Okay. What happens is that Julian Carlton has been working on the project for a while. And, you know, some people have said that, hey, he was kind of getting harassed or he wasn't really uh, jiving with a lot of the people uh, working at Taliesin. Okay. Um, and as the servant um, at Taliesin, of course, he was working there with his wife. His wife was like the cook over in Taliesin. Julian wasn't quite um, working well with the rest of the crew. And I, if you look up what happened to him, he, of course, was uh, bound to be let go. Okay. And uh, after recounts and all this stuff, it was, it was uncovered that, of course, yeah, Julian and his wife were scheduled to uh, leave Taliesin uh, a couple of days after this whole fire. Okay. Let's take this back a little bit. You can imagine mama and Martha and her kids uh, are, are just finishing lunch. Okay. They're out on the veranda of Taliesin. Definitely take a look at Taliesin. It's a beautiful building, right? Well, at least pictures of what it was at that point in time. They're finishing off and you can imagine up comes uh, Julian and he's carrying a hatchet and in a blink of an eye, unfortunately, this is a gruesome story. So those of you guys that might be a little bit apprehensive, be forewarned. So Julian comes up and he takes the hatchet and it's a sad state of affairs. He, you know, whether it's disgruntled employee, uh, mental illness or whatever, don't know, right? But he was probably angry that he was going to, that he was let go. Uh, at the very least, that probably was a bit of gasoline on that fire. Well, he takes the hatchet and he kills not only Martha, but he also kills the kids. Okay. And that's terrible by itself. You know, you, women and kids, you just, he's killed them. Right. But the rest of the servants are eating, are still eating lunch inside the house. Okay. So of course, what does, what's happening now is that Julian, who, you know, was a servant, has the doors locked, knows that doors are locked, knows that certain windows are not operable. Um, in the area where the servants are. Basically, uh, depending on who you talk to, he starts pouring gas under the door, right? It's not like he throws a gas tank into the window. He just low-key kind of pours gasoline under the door into the, into the servants' quarter, into the, into the building, right? And, it, and uh, from reports, uh, you know, some people just like picked up on a little bit of the smell. Some people picked it up and they said it's like dishwash, dishwater coming in, like as if like a washing machine kind of like just didn't work. And it's coming through the doors, right? And at that point, poof, the whole entire building is set ablaze, right? And unfortunately, uh, what happens is that these people are trying to run out, okay? And the craziest thing is that Carlton basically, you know, he went, he went into the dining room, he locked them all up, and he basically had set the place on fire, right? And he's got this hatchet, so he's standing on the outside. So any of the people that didn't burn and die uh, and, and succumb to what was going on inside, he was outside with that hatchet, right? So in, in total, there were seven victims um, and, of course, uh, Carlton. You can imagine that this is nuts, right? Like uh, most of the people died inside, but there were a couple of people that did manage to escape, right? They, they broke out the windows and they kind of rolled down a hill and they were, they were kind of uh, you know, able to survive. Now, Carlton, of course, 
he he couldn't get everybody, but he was able to survive. Um, he 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 kind of did the murder, but then he went he ran away, and then he tried to kill himself. Okay, this guy tried to kill himself by drinking like hydrochloric acid. Okay, the thing is though, he didn't do it right, and he didn't die. So then they they haul him into the hospital and they're interrogating. They're like, "Yo, man, why did you do this?" Right? And get this, he he, he basically refuses to answer. He he basically is just really angry. Doesn't say a single thing, and he just seven weeks later, okay, this is like, this is like you know, a couple months later, then he finally succumbs and dies of starvation. Okay, you can imagine once again, it this isn't so much as a kind of haunting story, but it's the fact that listen, man, that is some messed up stuff. One thing I should mention though is that even though Taliesin was burnt down, what happened was that. Frank Lloyd Wright, of course, he was devastated when he found out that his lover basically was murdered as well as her children. Um, and of course, there might be this notion that, hey, man, uh, I'm going to step away because that's kind of cursed. It's got bad memories to it. No, no, no. What Frank Lloyd Wright does is, of course, he comes and rises from the ashes and he says, I'm going to rebuild it. I'm going to do something better in her memory. Um, but let's be honest here. There's got to be something weird going on. And again, it's not saying it's cursed, but there probably was a weird coincidence here where um, once the second house goes up on that particular site um, in a matter of years, um, in about 1920, 1925, I think, um, because of a lightning storm, lightning did not strike the house. I think contrary to a lot of uh, what you might read online, lightning did not strike the house, but there was another fire that burnt out the house because of the wiring that was going on inside. So you'd think that after the second sign or second coincidence, Frank Lloyd Wright would be like, hey man, uh, that's probably not a good sign. Nope, Frank Lloyd Wright, stubborn as he is, um, basically said, nope. So he builds Taliesin, not one, not two, but three, right back on that same site. So um, again, most of you guys might have heard about Taliesin in some way or some sort of Frank Lloyd Wright and Taliesin story, but this is often one of those things that gets kind of dusted under the rug. So all I've done right now is just told you three really fun stories uh, that may or may not be resonating with you. Maybe you knew some of them, but at the very least, I thought it was a good time of the year. Like, you know, while everyone's talking about creepy, ghouly stories, I thought this was going to be a fun little episode because listen, for the last two weeks, I've been telling stories uh, to a few students um, and I thought it would be just fun to let everyone else know about them too. And at the very least, hopefully you guys get an understanding of how architecture history can be fun and maybe maybe you understand why I probably am not allowed to teach the history theory classes.